morning. Two, two weeks to Christmas. Who's ready? Wow, good job. So I got a couple more things I got to buy. I finally got my wife to tell me how much she spent on me so far. And like the rule is I, like, I got to spend more, a little bit more money on her than she spends on me, right? Is that the rule? Yeah, I feel so. She's making faces at me right now. Oh, no, this, this service, she gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> so last week, if you guys were here, Chad gave an awesome message about Jesus. And he's praising God that just the babes and the unwise and the children got to learn of God and who God was and recognize who Jesus was before the wise, before the ones that we thought would know, the ones we thought would be like they would figure it out first because they had, they had the education, they had maybe the birthright, they had all that, but it was those of us, and I totally fall into this group, just the hard-headed, the unwise, the one that just struggles you know, accepting things and seeing things as God wants, them to, wants us to see them. And the section of scripture that we're going over today, it starts with, and behold. So there was a lawyer that heard Jesus say these things. And it sounds like he was maybe a little offended that Jesus was showing himself to people other than himself who should have figured it out first. That God was revealing himself to people who were lower than. It wasn't, he was showing himself to the ones who were not the lawyers, they weren't the Pharisees, they weren't the Sadducees, they were the, the lower class. And he was offended by, it sounds like, by Jesus saying that. So in Luke 10, 25 through 29, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and, and who is my neighbor? Now you think the lawyers and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the educated elite in Israel would have stopped trying to put Jesus to the test. It's like throughout the New Testament, every time they tried to do that, Jesus completely owned them. Every time. And they just kept pushing and pushing and trying to catch Jesus in his words, to try to <clears throat> make Jesus say something that wasn't in context with scripture. And it didn't happen. And it never would happen. It was kind of like a scene in that movie Goodwill Hunting where he's at the bar and the guy starts messing with him about education and stuff and Will completely owns him and says, well, why did you spend 150 grand on college to learn all this stuff when you could have done it with $5 worth of late fees at the library? And Will got our number, right? So when we approach God with questions... We get either, a, usually we get a blend of grace and a blend of truth. And sometimes, and I've totally been there, we get a little bit more truth. And sometimes we get a little more grace. And in this situation with the lawyer, he got quite a bit of truth. And the truth 
often hurts, but that does not change God's grace because even if it hurts, God's truth is still better than we deserve. The truth often hurts, but that does not change God's grace because even if it hurts, God's truth is still better than we deserve. We don't deserve much. We can make requests of God and it's his grace that he answers them. And sometimes I've definitely been drop kicked with truth in my life. And he gives this lawyer a pretty big dose of truth by completely owning the conversation and asking the lawyer a question. Like, hey, how do you read it? What do you think? And Jesus absolutely agreed with him. He got it right. Absolutely right. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. But how do we do that? Like, how do we love God with all of our heart? How do we love our neighbor as ourself? It's difficult. It's difficult to put God first. It's difficult to put other people first before ourselves. It's like a lifelong thing. And this lawyer probably was pretty proud of himself for answering correctly. And Jesus telling him, if you do this, you'll live. And then the gut check happened. The lawyer is thinking to himself, oh, do I do this? And it was pretty quick that he realized, no, I don't do that. Not all the time. So then he wanted to justify himself and say, who, who is my neighbor? And that's what we're going to be focusing on today, is who is our neighbor? And I know if you've been in church for a while, we up from the stage and uh, community group and Bible studies and stuff, we often say, oh, love God and love people. You know, I go to meet with somebody for coffee or something, I'm like, hey, how you doing, y'all? Oh, yeah, you know, I'm just trying to love God and love people. Good answer. That is correct. And this has happened to me. We, get, we squirm a little bit, though, when somebody's like, how do you do that? You were talking about some problems you were having at work recently. How do you apply that to what was going on at work? And then we're like, uh, I don't know. Like, how do we do that? How do we get to a place where we love God and love people that that just comes first most of the time? Because the lawyer <clears throat> asking Jesus who my neighbor is or who his neighbor is, wanting to justify himself, wanting to make himself feel better, wanting to, excuse me, say, you know, narrow down the definition of who his neighbor was. And that's what we want to do, right? In our culture, we want to find, get at something and we want to narrow it down and pick it apart and find a way we can define something so that way... We feel better about ourselves. Doesn't have, we don't have to work too hard to feel comfortable with it or attain it. And that's what this lawyer wants. I think the lawyer had had that in his head, and he'd probably been told that before himself. Love God, love people. 
And we hear it a lot. And it's almost like in some ways that statement, love God, love people, can become cliche, almost. Where we hear it, and we're like, yeah, yeah, praise the Lord, good answer. But then do we really apply it? And I've heard it said, I can't remember who it was who said it, that when something becomes cliche, we overemphasize the importance of it, but we underemphasize the application. We overemphasize, oh yeah, this is important, I need to know this, I need to know, very important. But the application goes out the window. And Jesus, in this conversation with his lawyers, like, this is important, you got it right. But how do you apply it? And Jesus talks this guy through how to, how to apply it. And I think Jesus explains here that our neighbor is anyone who we can show God's love to. That's our neighbor. I've heard Ernie say more than once from this stage, who's not my neighbor, right? Who's not my neighbor? So as in most cases, when someone asks Jesus a question, he tells a story or tells a parable. So in Luke 10, verses 30 through 36, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by a chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is like two days worth of wages, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. <clears throat> Story of the Good Samaritan. We've all heard it before. I joked earlier about getting one of those. If you've been at church as long as me or longer, like the, remember the, um, the felt boards? Anybody? Maybe not. <laughs> and they got little pictures of people, and you can put them on the board, and like there's a Samaritan, and there's a guy that got beat up, and oh, there's a priest and a Levite running away. Like, <clears throat> so if you've been in church a while, you guys, or were in Sunday school when I was, and you know what I'm talking about. So the priests, they were kind of like, the pastors of the day. They went to places in the temple that nobody but priests were allowed to go. They did the sacrifices. They burned the incense. They had a very specific job role that God gave them in the Old Testament. And the Levites were like the caretakers of the temple. They made sure everything was in its proper place. Everything was clean. People who came to the temple knew where to go. They were upstanding citizens. They, a lot of them thought they were better than other people. They were the ones that you would expect. Just if they saw somebody who was down and injured and half dead to stop and take care of them. But in this story, story they were not. And the Samaritan, on the other hand, for context, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. Uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was Pastor Justin talked about when James and John 
couple of Jesus' disciples wanted to call down fire on a Samaritan village. Jesus got mad at them. Like, that was the overall feel. It was a mutual feeling between the two. Let's just call fire down on each other. Like, did not like each other at all. You know, in modern day terms, it could be like your cousin from that side of the family, you know, because they were related to everything that happened in the Old Testament with Israel getting conquered and the tribe of the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, going to Babylon and Persia and the Israelites being dispersed. The Jews and the Samaritans were related by blood. So it's like nowadays, like that cousin from that side of the family. You know, I refuse to believe that we we're actually related, but they popped up as a relative on 23andMe. Pretty disappointing, right? You know, they say they're Christian like me, but they do some weird stuff, have some weird beliefs. All their social media and political stuff is the complete opposite of me. You know, I like trucks. They like electric cars. Like, it's all just... If they died suddenly, I probably won't go to the funeral because I don't want to pretend I'm sad. Like, that's, that's how the Jews and the Samaritans looked at each other. They did not like each other at all. But it was a Samaritan who stopped to help the injured man. And I think when he's telling this story, I kind of picture Jesus, like, start telling the story. And when he says, and a Samaritan, and then he looked at James and John, and they were like, Sorry. <laughs> Samaritan stops. But most of the time for us, it's not for such personal reasons that we don't help people. Sometimes it could be for something that's not so deep, not so many years have passed by for that kind of stuff to be there. So you guys help me out. Why? Why? Why don't you help out somebody else? Or why wouldn't? Why? What are times when somebody didn't help you out? You can just yell it out. Anybody got anything? Time. Good. Time. Don't know what to do. Anybody else? Finances. Finances? Good. What is it? Not equipped. Somebody say selfishness. Good. Yeah. Don't want to be bothered with it. Don't want to try to help somebody and mess up. For sure. As I was praying over the scripture and, and researching and stuff, there were three things that stood out to me about why the Levite and the priest didn't help the man and maybe why we don't help other people or other people don't help us when we're in need. Is that sometimes helping others can be unsafe Sometimes we don't want to get dirty and we think maybe they deserve to be where they are. So why should I intervene? So it can be unsafe. So if you picture the Levite and the priest, it sounds like they're alone, walking down the road, trying to get somewhere, maybe going from Jericho to Jerusalem because they got a job to do at the temple. And they see some guy that just totally got beat up, half dead, Maybe even dead, they can't tell. And I see them, they're like, whoa, this is a dangerous road. I got to get out of here. Right? Been there. Unsafe situations you don't want to get into. But the Samaritan, he knew the risks. He knew it was a dangerous road. He saw the guy, he obviously had been attacked. 
And he stopped anyway. And I can't help but believe that the Samaritan probably knew how to throw down. He wasn't worried about the robbers coming and trying to attack him. He probably handled himself pretty well. So not only could he take care of the injured man, but he could t- defend himself. Sounds like, sounds like Jesus to me. You know, sections of scripture in the Old Testament where it talks about like how God has the power to kill and the power to save. If I come across somebody who has the power to absolutely kill me, destroy me, but also has the power to save me, I want to get to know that guy. I want to be that guy's friend. You know, if I think about it, that's one of the reasons why I serve God. One of the reasons why I serve Jesus is he has the power to destroy me, destroy me or let me destroy myself, and he has the power to save me. Sounds like a good person to follow to me. And Jesus also, like people, he never revealed his full power while he was on earth. A few weeks ago, also, we were talking about the man who was uh, demon-possessed. And Jesus found that guy, walked up to him, and the demons were like, no, 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 don't throw us into the abyss. Don't destroy us, just send us into the pigs. You guys remember that? Those demons saw Jesus for who he truly was and were terrified. They thought that by Jesus being on earth, revelation was happening. That's how powerful Jesus was. But he chose to become a man just like us and put himself in an unsafe situation intentionally to save us. Put himself in harm's way to save us. So the other reason why we don't want to help people is we don't want to get dirty. And the priests and the Levites had... A legit reason, maybe, for not wanting to get dirty. The Old Testament has all kinds of rules and regulations that if this happens, you're unclean. If you touch a dead body, you're unclean for seven days. You have to wash yourself on day three and day seven to be clean. And they had a job to do. They were important guys. So they couldn't help this guy who was half dead. Like, what if he already is dead? Or what if he dies while I'm trying to help him, I can't do my job at the temple. But people see me, my identity, my job title, I can't do that if I get, if I get unclean, if I help this guy out. Their job was to connect the people to God, but they, it's like they didn't even care about the people. They were missing it. And I know it's one thing to get our own blood on our hands. It's something completely different to get somebody else's blood on us. I work, I've mentioned, I mentioned it probably every time I preach that I work in the ER down at White River. I'm one of the supervisors and they had a pretty rough Friday and so I went in, uh, the night, sh- night crew. So I went in last night just to check on them. I brought them some snacks because for most, at least healthcare workers, they bring them food, they're happy. And I know that works for me. Food time off in cash. 
and <clears throat> brought him some snacks and checked up on him. We did. It was pretty pretty rough what happened Friday night, so we had a counselor there to talk to him and want to do a debrief just to kind of start the healing process and stuff like that. And turns out last night ended up being pretty crazy as well. And I just started helping out and I got somebody else's blood on me. And you look at like Old Testament and if we were still following all that, like I would be unclean right now if we still followed that. So last night I would have had to call Ernie and be like, hey bro, I'm unclean. I can't preach tomorrow. Sorry, can you cover for me? (laughs) But luckily, that wasn't the case. And I got to tell you, after I've been in healthcare over a decade, and there's worse things to get on you than blood. I'm just saying. I know there's some of you out there that are like, uh, you get me. You get me. (laughs) One time, I was, uh, there's a guy came in, he cut his wrist. He had an arterial bleed, squirting blood everywhere, and he was on drugs or something like that. So he's fighting us and didn't want us to help him out. Like, so I had my, fore, my left forearm on his chest, holding him down, and literally had my thumb on his artery so the doctor could get in there and stitch it up. And holding on to him, and he's yelling at us and cussing at us and trying to get out and trying to get away. And I hear him go, <laughs> And he spits. And I put my head down. I'm like, it better not. Back of the head. That's worse than blood to me. I was not, I was not a happy camper when that happened. And, uh, but I didn't let him go. Jesus got dirty for us. He got his blood and our blood on him to save us. Another reason why we don't help people or other people don't help us is we think they might deserve to be where they're at. Something called retribution theology. It's thinking like the you did this, so this is what happens to you, and you did that, so this happens to you, and you do good things, and good things happen to you. And people would come to Jesus with that. Like, hey, like there was this tower that fell over, and a bunch of people died, and then the Romans got mad at these people and killed them. Like, are they worse sinners than the rest of us? And Jesus is like, no. Nah. Of course, there's sins that we do and mistakes that we make and that have bigger implications you know, in this world. There's legal ramifications or addiction or things that we, there can be rep, you know, implications for what, to pay for what we did in this world. But the way God looks at it, the way Jesus looks at it, like, it's no worse sinners. We're all a disaster without Jesus. And even today, you know, see somebody holding the sign and we're like, and I've said this myself, like there's help wanted signs at every business and they're holding the sign. Like why? But God doesn't want us to ask why. He wants us to be willing to help that person if he puts it on our heart. 
So maybe instead of asking ourselves why or they're just going to buy booze with it, we can say, okay, Lord, do you want me to help this person? I don't think God wants us to help everybody we come across. Say, Lord, do you want me to help this person? Do you want me to intervene here? Do you want me to stop at this car accident even though, and just help out and direct traffic? And if God puts it on our heart to do that, do it. Make sure you're safe, absolutely. But if God puts it on your heart to help somebody, do it. I had times where somebody was holding a sign and I felt like God put on my heart to help them out. So I went and talked to them, said, hey, like, do you have a family? What are you able to cook with? Have a conversation. Went in a safe way, bought him, some, bought him a meal for his family. And when I dropped off the food, I told him, I was like, hey, told him about the recenter. There's a place up the street. They can hook you up. They can help you out. Get on your feet. Whatever you need. And he's like, oh, cool, thanks. I don't know if he ever showed up or not. But we have a resource with the recenter where we can just have a conversation with somebody in need in that situation. And I've had times in my career, it's a small community where I know up front what's going on or that what happened with somebody that I'm taking care of. It was a few years ago, somebody did something uh, pretty horrible and uh, police were looking for him and family got to him first and I had to help take care of him. The temptation is real to let that affect us. Like that whole time I was like, Lord, like please don't let what I know affect how I'm taking care of this person. Please. Like in the Lord's Prayer, the, where he says, do not lead us into temptation. That's a real thing. That's a good prayer to pray. And I've had other times where something's going on and the police are there with somebody that EMS brought in and we're taking care of them. And then after we get everything squared away, we find out why they're in the situation they're in. And I've literally told the officers, like, thank you so much for not telling me what was going on, why this guy was here, what the situation was. Thank you so much. And they just look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, I didn't want to know. I didn't, I had to explain to one of them. Like, I didn't want to know. I'm glad I didn't know because I, I didn't want to be tempted for that to affect what I did or the urgency and how I provided care of that patient because the temptation is real that they deserve to be there. But God didn't put it on us to make that call. And Jesus didn't see that people that way at all. We don't have to get it right. We don't have to be ready and fix all our problems and fix all our stuff and fix our attitudes before we come to him. Jesus is like, come on, I'm right here. And at the end of this section of scripture in Luke 10, verse 37, Jesus asked, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The one who showed mercy. And mercy is a gift. Can you guys agree on that? Absolutely a gift that God gives to us. And be, but because God gave us mercy, we have the ability to give mercy as a gift to other people. Because mercy releases us from an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, bitterness, hatred, retribution, payback, unforgiveness. We can just give that to people. 
we can see people who are in need and be like, I'm okay putting myself in a dangerous situation here. I'm okay getting dirty here. I'm okay not worrying about the circumstances, but worrying about the person. And showing mercy, there's implications on that. Implications for good, if we do it, and there can be implications for not so good if we don't show mercy. I have two stories that I want to share with you that just really stood out to me on where somebody had a situ- was in a situation to show mercy and have a massive impact on somebody's life in that very moment and chose not to. And somebody else who showed mercy and did a small thing they thought that had a massive impact. First one is a picture from the early 90s. Um, some of you have probably seen that before. That's in uh, Sudan during a pretty terrible famine in the early 90s. The photographer who took that, his name is Kevin Carter. I know it's hard to look at. Kevin stood there and waited for 20 minutes before he took that picture. Because the picture he was going for was a picture of the vulture spreading its wings out in front of that child. That never came, didn't happen. He took the picture. And there's been questions over the years, like did he help that baby out? Did he help, what did he do? Did the baby survive? Kind of hard to find answers to some of those questions. But Carter ended up getting a Pulitzer Prize for that picture. There was public outcry about what was going on in Sudan. And got like top of the food chain. He like highest honor, the biggest paycheck for a photographer. And the thing is that in an interview later on, he admitted that he did not help that child. And a month after he won or got, received the Pulitzer Prize for that picture, he committed suicide. Top of his game, best of the best. And I can't help but think that maybe if he put his camera down, was willing to put himself in harm's way because there was crazy diseases going on during that time. Maybe put himself in a situation where he got dirty and picked up the baby. Put himself in a situation where he stopped thinking about the geopolitical stuff and he stopped thinking about the corruption in the government and just the people and greed and all that stuff. We stopped thinking about that and looked at the person. Maybe he'd still be around today. Maybe he would have redefined who he was and what he was looking for in life. It could have changed everything for him. Maybe if he showed mercy in that moment. Another story 
maybe has just as big implications later on. Kid, junior high, packs up, gets his lock, packs up all, gets all the books out of his locker, cleans his locker out, holding his books, walking down the hallway and drops them. Another kid walks by, sees that he dropped the books, probably thinking, eh, should I help this kid out? Should I not? I don't know. He decides to stop. Helps his kid with his books. Junior high. They end up becoming best friends. Hang out all through high school. Having a good time. Best buds. Inseparable. The kid who dropped the books ends up being the valedictorian of his class. And in his speech, he points at his friend. And he says, that day you helped me with my books. I was going to kill myself. And then we became friends and I decided not to do that and not to go down that path. And now here we are. And his friend had no idea, no idea. That little bit of mercy, picking up somebody's book off the floor had just massive lifelong implications of friendship, of friend, of parents not having the pain of a child committed suicide, all that. Like that's what mercy can do. When we look at the person instead of the circumstances, when we look at the person instead of what's going on in our own heads or our own hearts, and like, all right, Jesus, like how, who's my neighbor? How do you want me to show mercy to people? Like that is how we show people who our neighbor is. That's how we show God who, our, who we believe our neighbor is. That's how, what Jesus did for us. All of that. He doesn't care who we are, what we did, what we're going to do. Died for you. We got, he got our blood on him. We got him dirty. He put himself in an unsafe situation. For us. Because he loves us. He loves you. And then when we finally get through all that stuff and all are able to say, figure out how, like, Lord, I, I love you and I love people. Like, that's the life that God truly wants us to live. That's the life where we can find, maybe we can finally find peace because we're living that way. Maybe we can find fulfillment and find a new path to walk in loving God and loving people. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your mercy that you showed to us. And Lord, I pray that you just show us how to be, just not only be grateful for the mercy you've showed us, but you teach us how to show mercy to others. Lord, if we could just walk loving you and loving people the way you intended, the world will never be the same. I pray you just teach our hearts how to do that. And God, I just praise you in advance for the path that you have us walk on. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you.